And during that time, I was going to real estate meetups, uh, meeting people, talking to people, kind of surveying the land, uh, so to speak, to figure out what I wanted to do. And I saw a lot of people flipping, you know, you're common, all the things you see around here, wholesalers. And what I found is that the low hanging fruit, like the the basic cosmetic flips, the margins were extremely tight. There was a ton of competition for them. Same thing as, as here. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow savvy real estate investors. Uh, Yeah, first week of November. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, We have uh, Andrew Hines on the podcast today, so really excited about that. But uh, just wanted to kind of give you an update about what's been going on. you know, uh, Jose just uh, got back from a conference in Orlando, got some nice heat while he was uh, down there, I'm sure. So uh, Jose, maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, the conference and, and what were some of the key takeaways? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, there was, the conference was amazing. It was, uh, you know, two days of really uh, great networking. Um, and the reason I go to these events is not just to learn from the speakers, but to also network with like-minded individuals. And and I want to find out from who what's going on in the trenches, uh, not just by listening to the mass media on what's going on. You know, how are these experts navigating through the current environment, you know? And, and you know, it was kind of refreshing to see that uh, and hear most of these people are looking at this as, as an opportunity zone. Uh, this, this, the next twelve months are going to be a great time to buy, because uh, obviously, you know, when the market is heated, you know, that's not really the best time to buy, right? So, kind of a different perspective. Yeah, no, that's uh, great. So, um, I think that you know, uh, networking events are great for this exact reason. Um, you know, being surrounded by like-minded people. Um, brings you back feeling energized and motivated. And like Jose said, you know, just really gives you some uh, inside perspectives on, uh, you know, what what could be going on. Yeah, you know, I mean, and one of the big uh, things I learned by going to events in the U.S. is that the mindset is very different. Um, You know, uh, the uh, American mindset is like, let's go and just do it. Uh, And there's not so much of uh you know that conservative mindset that uh, a lot of Canadians have uh so yeah there was a lot of great takeaways and you know uh, one of the big things is uh there's a lot of options for creative financing in in the United States uh with getting deals done especially with this current environment so you know for example seller financing uh you could you could get 100% seller financing or you can get a portion seller financing and and uh the rest of the loan would be through a traditional bank. So, 
there's there's so many creative ways to do things and get deals done there. Um, whereas, you know, here you're kind of fairly limited. Yeah, I know that that's really great. And especially with the changing lending environment, um, being able to do creative financing is ultimately such an important piece to making sure that you can get deals done. So I think that that's, that's a really huge takeaway and something that's really, really important, especially because of, you know, the ever-changing lending environment that we're facing right now. And um, I think that that's one of people's biggest fears right now is, you know, lending. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the sp- the main uh, keynote speakers was uh, uh, Ryan Serhant, uh, who is the uh, million dollar listing agent out of uh, New York City. Uh, kind of an interesting, very interesting guy. And, you know, he mentioned uh, a lot of key points. Uh, there's a big wealth transfer coming. Um, and, you know, 2023 is going to be the most anticipated recession of all time. So, you know, definitely looking from a uh, positive mindset on, uh, uh, you know, going into the next year, great buying opportunities for the right person. No, that's awesome. So, um, you know, I'm sure we could go on and uh, so many great lessons to be had, but uh, I definitely uh, think that uh, Jose's right. 2023, lots to look forward to, um, you know, uh, make some lemonade out of lemons, right? And and and, and take this opportunity to, uh, you know, really uh, think about um, what you can do in the current environment. And there are obviously lots of creative things that can be done and uh, people should just be sort of thinking in that way instead of uh, approaching it from a fear mindset. So anyway, without further ado, I am going to introduce our guest for today. So we do have Andrew Hines on the podcast today. I'm sure many of you know Andrew Hines. He has a well-known podcast of his own, um, always has some great insight on economics and what's happening in the world and in our Ontario market as well. So uh, we had some uh, great discussions around that and uh, some of the cool things he's working on, including a glamping project here in Ontario, as well as some of the new builds that he has going on south of the border. So um, I'll let Andrew tell you more about that. Um, here's Andrew Hines. Hey, everyone. We have uh, Andrew Hines on the show today. Andrew, thanks for being on the show. Uh, just to give you a quick introduction, uh, for those of you who don't know Andrew, Andrew uh, is a well-known podcast host. Um, he initially uh, started out uh, being in the uh student rental investment space, but has quickly diversified into lots of different things. Um, And most recently, he is doing a bunch of development work uh, south of the border, um, which I'll let him tell you more about, um, I guess, specifically in the Cape Coral area. Um, He also has a really cool campground where they do uh, some awesome glamping experience stuff. So really excited to hear about that. And, um, you know, Andrew's known to have uh, a lot of great uh, feedback about economics and what's going on here and south of the border. So really excited to pick your brain about that sort of stuff too. So, um, you know, without further ado, I'll introduce Andrew and uh, Andrew, maybe you can uh, tell our guests a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for the introduction. Thanks for having me. And you did a a good summary there of some of the stuff that I'm up to. And uh, yeah, we can, we can dig into any of those topics that you'd like. But uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. So I started, you know, 2011, a couple of single family homes, quickly ran out of money, diversified into the US, uh, lost more money. <laughs> and uh, and then I, I finally found my way with student rentals in 2015, 
got into burring, you know, adding additions. Then all of a sudden I'm, you know, general contracting, building subdivisions of houses and townhouses and stuff. Um, you know, a lot of things I never expected to get into. And then more recently as an investor, buying the campground uh, about a year ago now, and we just finished our first successful season. And uh, yeah, of course, the Florida stuff is uh, it's a big focus right now. Um, you know, I, I've never been a big fan of of forcing numbers to work or, or, you know, a lot of people just get impatient and they pull the trigger even when they know the numbers aren't great because they want to do something. And for me, I was known as the people were looking at me like, why aren't you doing anything? And I'm just like, I don't like any of these numbers. So I spent a lot of time finding my markets and finding places where I thought, you know, the, the outlook was good long-term and the numbers work now. And that's, yeah. uh, that's what Florida is for me right now, which we can, we can dig into. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you that uh, what made you choose Florida and uh, Cape Coral specifically? Was it that like, you know, you were uh, hanging out uh, during COVID and then you thought, you know, this, the economics makes sense over here? Or, or did you specifically go there? And um, was there some sort of driver that led you to that specific area? Well, people often say invest in what you know, which I definitely agree with because then you can sell it. So for me, I had spent a lot of time in Southwest Florida. I love Southwest Florida. And so Cape Coral is about 45 minutes to an hour from Naples, where we usually stay. So when we were down there in, in 2021, 20, uh, we, we went over in January when everything was locked down and it was just you know nonsense in Ontario. So uh, we decided, hey, we're getting out of here. We're going to go down to Florida where it's fully open and, and you know we can kind of live normally. So my wife and I spent about three and a half months down there. And during that time, I was going to real estate meetups. Uh, meeting people, talking to people, kind of surveying the land, uh, so to speak, to figure out what I wanted to do. And I saw a lot of people flipping, you know, you, you're common, you know, all the things you see around here, wholesalers. And what I found is that the low hanging fruit, like the, the basic cosmetic flips, the margins were extremely tight. There was a ton of competition for them. Same thing as, as here, you know, and, and at that time. But for some reason, these new builds, like the margins were much better. They're extremely quick to build. And, um, and uh, it was like way less effort. So I just started looking at that. Um, I, I heard a guy speak uh, that was doing this and he said, Hey, like I'm looking for JV partners, you know, somebody bring in the first installments and, uh, and buy the land and I'll take care of the rest. And um, that's not how we ended up structuring it, but I heard him talk. I heard him talk about his margins. I'm like, that sounds great. I'm in, <laughs> I'm like, we'll do one here. Like we shook hands. Um, and then I just, you know, we've had a few conversations and, uh, ultimately I ended up financing the whole thing and owning it. And he basically introduced me to the general contractor and he's selling it without a commission because he's a realtor. Uh, and that was sort of the deal we worked out he oversees and, and, you know, keeps an eye on it for me. And we're, we're kind of friends now. Like he just like kind of helps me out, looks at my stuff for me. So he's a good contact. And, um, yeah. And he, full disclosure, I told him, Hey, look, I need to do this on my own. Um, and then this is how I'm going to get started. And he was okay with that. And we've kind of grown, grown that way. Um, so uh, that I know you had a very simple question, which I, I, you know, I give you a long winded answer for. So you, you tell me what you would like me to speak on. Yeah. So I'm curious. I mean, um, I, I know, uh, you know, just maybe walk us through like uh, some, some high level numbers on a, an average development that you're doing out there. If you, if you don't mind. Yeah, and how problem. is it different from? Yeah, and how would it be different from, from like, uh, like here? here, like yeah. in terms of timelines and things like that? Okay, so we'll, you know, one piece at a time. So high level numbers. When I bought the land to begin with, we were looking at some specific models that the general contractor I work with builds, and eighteen hundred and eighty square foot, three car garage with a pool was expected to sell right around five hundred even. 
uh, US dollars, of course. Uh, the cost to buy the land at that time, I was like 21, 22 grand, maybe 25 on an expensive side. And then the build cost was expected to be around 365. Uh, build costs are over a bit because of some volatility with certain uh, supply chain issues. I think we'll, we'll probably be, you know, more like an all-in, closer to 400 on that one, maybe 390 or you know, somewhere in there between the land and the build. Uh, still quite good, but in the meantime, so we still, when I bought the land, we were thinking 499. Then there was a time, you know, maybe in February where it was like 599 or or more. Uh, and now that that's come back down to like a 560, 550 expectation for list. So it has come back down, but not nearly, um, I shouldn't say not nearly as aggressively uh, as, as here. Uh, what I like about it is it, it was never this crazy explosive market for all the time that it was here in Ontario. Um, in Ontario, things went crazy in most areas starting 2017, maybe even late 2016. And um there in in southwest florida like in, in cape coral and fort myers specifically they just regained their their 2008 highs like about two years ago so a very different market um so i like the idea that we were we were looking at being all in on something for under 500 grand you know 400 grand uh in a still in an affordable price range for something that's pretty spectacular like if you think about that kind of build on that space with an 80 foot frontage and a pool you know caged in and everything and an outdoor kitchen like you're paying like a million plus for that kind of thing uh, in in Ontario, maybe 1.5, and um, so immediately those numbers were speaking to me. And and you know people in Southwest Florida are saying, oh, how can things keep getting more expensive? This is unaffordable. I'm like, you haven't seen like Ontario, New York City, like there are a lot of places way more expensive than this. It's actually quite affordable relatively. And my theory is that you know water flows to the lowest point. So when you have affordable markets. Um, people leave the unaffordable markets and come to the affordable markets. So you pair all that with the in-migration to Florida because politically it was very attractive. People wanted to come there. They have crazy uh, population growth in Florida from people just leaving other states and coming there. Um, so it's kind of like the perfect storm of, of, of factors that I, I was really happy about. So I know we were talking high-level numbers. Um, I think that we're going to see a lot, a lot slower decrease in values in Southwest Florida compared to Ontario, just given some of these differences, because there's always competing factors, right? Like Ontario and Canada in general, we have a huge amount of immigration that are going to push back on these price decreases. So interest rates are pushing prices down and immigration is pushing prices up. Yeah. Similar conditions in Southwest Florida. I just think that um, because we didn't have that long exaggerated increase in, in, uh, in price growth that, uh, that uh, it's it's going to be less severe. Yeah, and and somebody was uh, I was speaking with somebody about uh, the the way that uh, lending works there, right? Like you you've got 25, 30 year mortgages there locked in fixed rate. You so a lot yeah, you less can do that people right now. are affected by the rate increases than than sure. it would be over here because we've got maximum five year terms. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Think about the dump of all the people who who uh, got their mortgages in two thousand and eighteen at like 3% or sub 3%. And then they're going into an environment where they're going to renew around like six and a quarter. A lot of them are going to be like, oh, I can't afford this, list their house. Now you dump more supply onto the market. Yeah. Um, that's going to push push prices down even further because uh, again, it's all supply and demand. Now it's art, it's kind of artificially created challenge and it will er eventually correct back the other way. Uh, but who knows? Not to get off track. So so your first question was about the, the high level numbers. I think I went through that. Um, 
you had another question in terms of what's different about building the construction, down there versus, uh, process yeah. like permitting and yeah uh, and I'm assuming these ones are uh, concrete construction, not uh, wood frame, right? Yeah, it's it's very uncommon now. Like you can still find it, but it's very uncommon to find stick frame houses in Southwest Florida or probably in most of Florida just because of the termites and then obviously hurricane rigidity. Yeah. So like big consideration is hurricanes um, and flooding. So my builds, we actually had to bring in fill to to raise the level of them up. So they're actually raised up off of the typical grade for the neighborhood. And uh, so I'm out of the 100-year floodplain. I didn't flood in the hurricane that just happened. We, we were in the eye of the storm. Like we got hit among the worst. Uh, well, Fort Myers Beach was just directly south of Cape Coral and they got the worst. Um, but uh, yeah, so so that's that's a, part, a big part of it. I mean, you think hurricane ties, like the trusses are all tied down. Like I didn't lose lose a roof, but I saw other buildings where the the whole roof system, including the trusses, was just flipped right off. Um, like the, it was a pretty bad hurricane. So uh, for me, like the damage was like we had a couple of, of shingles, not not blown off, but turned up. Like some of the edges actually got broken and and bent back. But uh, from what I saw, we didn't lose our water seal. Um, I did have a couple of pieces of drywall in the one because we didn't even have a door on it a couple of pieces of drywall just from the pressure on the ceiling just got pushed down uh not from water but from air uh so yeah just getting into the you know the big considerations you have impact glass um no basements and yeah. um so those are some of the construction differences and then of course your shingles they're nailed six times instead of three here in you know canada because you got a lot of wind uh and, and i think you know from experience here in, in ontario like I've never seen a trade that has more people who are are not capable of doing their job than roofing, like do it, do it bad. There are, there are probably 20 um, roofers that won't do it right for everyone that will. Um, and I was very relieved to see that the, this roof held because I've had properties I've worked on where the roof was installed incorrectly. I had to rip the whole thing off. I had another one where uh, nailed in the wrong spot, a whole sheet of shingles just slid off the roof. That's crazy. Uh, I've seen it all, man, when, when it comes to shingles. So I was really happy about that. Um, in terms of time frame, permitting is supposed to be pretty quick down there. Like it's supposed to be a few weeks. Uh, it's gotten as bad as a few months. And the actual, um, for what I'm doing, so survey is about six weeks right now. So you get the survey, uh, select the model, they engineer it for about a few weeks. And then they submit it for permit. So that could be a few months there. And then the build is about seven months. So right now, if I were to buy one and start from scratch, I would I would be assuming I'm, I'm around a 13 month from the day wow. I close to when I'm like ready to sell. That's probably expected double the time frame here, if not more. I just completed a build as well. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's been over probably close to 30 months now. And I it was just a simple severance. And um, yeah. Uh, in Hamilton. Yeah. Well, well, I will say like some of the things that make it easier is that Cape Coral, for those who don't know it, is like, it's just a whole bunch of 80 foot lots everywhere. Like it's like when this city was formed, they expected the growth to be way bigger than it was at the time. So there's neighborhoods that are just streets that have grass growing through it. Like you can almost, you, can, you almost can't see the asphalt anymore because the street never really got developed. Like there was, there was a road put in but no one ever actually built on any of the lots. So they, they didn't repave it. The asphalt started, started to crumble. So you've got lots and lots and lots and lots of lots. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you can basically just, you know, buy them off. And the price got driven up because everybody knew. And, and you'll see so much new construction in Cape Coral. It's become the hot spot. And that this is the nice thing is 
like the neighborhoods I'm building in, there are very few houses around. So we're among the first ones. And it's not like you're going to have neighbors all around you right tomorrow. So there's a lot of really nice new construction houses in these neighborhoods with lots of space in between them. Uh, you know, and who wants to be right in your neighbor's face? Uh, so, you know, you're, you're still in the city, but you've, you've got room. And here's what makes here's what makes this, the process go quick is like, I'm working with a general contractor that has her own set models that she builds. She knows right. her prices in and out. She knows her, her designs. So if I'm picking within those models, things are going to be quick. It's when you want to customize things. Now that all of a sudden they have to go get tenders, figure out what everything's going to cost, give you yeah. a price. Exactly. I mean, it's just, this is one of those things, even down there, I was telling people how, how quick my general contractor was doing it. Uh, they're like, how is that possible? I'm like, well, I'm not inventing any, any sort of wheel here. We're just, we're just, rinsing and repeating what, what's been working. So yeah. I pick out my colors, but I mean, the structure, I'm just working off of what she has. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Why do you think there hasn't been like, you know, when you look at Ontario in contrast, there hasn't, you know, there, most of the, the uh, development is done by large um, development companies, right? Like yeah. they're building subdivisions at a time. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about that. Like, yeah. Why don't we have more of that here? And I think that there's a lot less consistency with available lots. When you do happen to find available lots, they're usually a part of a bigger development that was done and they're, you know, 30 feet wide and, and what have you. But that same model, I think, could work here. If you could consistently pick up the same type of lots and just build models that you already had pre-designed that were, you know, exactly the right width for that zoning Um Again, I just think it's the abundance of lots in Cape Coral that caused builders to have this. So you had a whole bunch of these general contractors that just came in and looked at it and said, I can, you know, I can think of a number of models that'll work on these lots. Like with 80 feet by 120, you've got a big lot. You can do a lot of stuff on those lots. Yeah. Um, and especially at 20,000 a piece, like it's, it's, a, it's I wish it was that cheap like now. You, now it's more like looking 40, at minimum 45. like yeah. 300 for a lot here, you know, like even. Yeah. And then you got to service it. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, so some of the other like big benefits is like in Toronto, what your development charges are over a hundred grand a unit now, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> there, my all-in permit development soft, I think is like twelve grand. Yeah, yeah that's insane. So, <laughs> and then, Andrew, why do you yeah. think that there aren't more institutional developers in Cape Coral? Like, why is there no, you know, big builders coming in and and just tearing it up? Um, I mean, I think there. There's a lot of mid small uh, size. Like I've I've spoken with Sherry, who's who, who's working for me, and and she's in the several hundred a year that they're building. So it's not like they're 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 not doing a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot just like her that are that are doing a number, um, but they seem to be doing it for private clients. I I wonder why. That's a great question. There are some larger developments there, but yeah, for the most part, it's just these small, smaller developers and uh, contractors building their homes. Uh, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. And um, who, like, you, so your plan is to purchase these and then you're going to sell them on the market. Yeah. Is that is that what I'm understanding? Or do you have another repurposing for them? Yeah, I mean, the, the plans, like I'll always adapt to whatever the market's doing. And if I think it's better to sell, I'll sell and then I'll buy back later. I mean, I'll just play the game like everybody else does. But um, ultimately, yeah, I want to do several as short-term rentals, long-term rentals, uh, build up a portfolio of rentals down there because I just, mm -hmm. I, again, I like the the price of acquisition. Um, the numbers based on what I think I can do are are, are quite good for like an Airbnb model, mm -hmm. uh, but not if you're going to perform like an average performance. And then of course, the interest rates have impacted that too. But I, I the second one I, I started building, my intent was to keep it. So I kind of did it better and bigger 
you know, maybe not the highest ROI if I plan to sell it, but, you know, still would do well. So that one's like 20, 2130 square feet, three car garage, outdoor kitchen, pool, hot tub overflowing into the pool. And um, yeah, I'll, I think I'll be all in with that one around 450. And that one, there was a recent sale in July for for 610 for, for that, but it didn't have the pool, uh, the hot tub and a couple other things. And it was only a double garage instead of a triple. So um, yeah, I know the market's changing. Who knows, you know, where that goes. But one of the nice things is like when you know that your market's going to be a little bit volatile and it might lose, uh, you know, a little bit of value. It's nice to have that kind of margin to start with. So, you know, you know, you've got a decent spread, even if prices adjust. For sure. Um, I want to kind of switch uh, a little bit on our conversation. You've been a podcast host for four years now. And maybe tell us like, top three things you've learned from uh, or top three strategies and, and also um, in, in terms of um, making money or just investing in general. Learn from, from being on the podcast. Yeah. I guess, like, yeah. Like, like, yeah we've sp- spoken to several hundred people and, and yeah. there's, sometimes you always take a few things from your guests. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. Cause some, it's it's a hard one to answer because I'll hear one idea and then I'll hear it again and again and again. It's hard to attribute it to necessarily one place that I yeah. heard it, but it's the exposure to these ideas that that caused them to kind of cement in my mind. Like I don't think I would have done most of what I've done if I hadn't started the podcast because the community I created um, allowed me to get these ideas and then proceed with them, build the network out. Uh, like the biggest income earning strategy, I think, is building your network and the number of people that'll take your call. Yeah, like the number of people true. who are worth knowing and, and worth talking to uh, from an investor standpoint, you know, in a, you know, a, a wealth growth standpoint. Sure. Um, you know, I, I, that was, I, I've said this before, but I read in one of Kevin O'Leary's books that, that the biggest reason for him to be on TV was that, you know, pretty much anybody would take his call. And I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, that's brilliant. You know, I'll just make <laughs> sure that people know who I am. And uh yeah, like so that was a big thing. Just, just you know, being able to start the meetup, being able to start the podcast, talk to these people. Um, you know, I've, I've I've made a lot of good friends um, that people who I talk to regularly who are very smart and know how to you know how to talk real estate. You know, yourself included, right? So, yeah. um, top strategies. Like I was I was blown away by the Airbnb arbitrage thing. The different guests I had on. Of course, that's been kind of quashed. In Ontario, um, it's not nearly as popular because all the municipalities are cracking down on it. But a lot of what I saw there inspired me to want to get the campground that we we bought where we we run it. Yeah, that was going to be my follow up question. Like, how did they? How yeah. did you get that idea about starting a campground and glamping? Yeah, tell us about it. It's super, yeah. super, super cool. Yeah. So my mother in law has cottages in in uh, South Bruce Peninsula. So uh, it is a place called Oliphant. Uh, just north of Supple Beach. And she was doing on like weekends during like the first year of lockdowns, like she was doing like $1,200 a night on on Saturdays. And then the weekdays were like 800 a night. And I was looking at these numbers. I'm like, I would love to own one, but how do you scale that, right? Like, I don't want to just own one rental. And then, you know, you got to go to the bank and all this stuff. Like, I'd love to get into a situation where we could have a property where we could just keep adding units and keep growing the income. Um, and then I, you know, I had that conversation openly several times with my brother-in-law saying, I, I love the idea of this. I just don't like the idea of, you know, you get into one and you got like 50 grand a year, a hundred grand a year. And it's like, now what, 
like I, I I've got it to this point. How do I grow it more? And then he found a campground. He's like, Hey, check, check this out. Look at this campground. And it was in this great spot right between Tobermory and the grotto um, and uh, lion's head, like the great hiking spot, you know, just kind of like really centrally located near everything you would want to be near in that region. And uh, so then the idea was, okay, how do we take what we're doing and maybe, maybe look at like glamping. Cause we had, my wife had shown me all these like different glamping tents, like over the years, like we'd seen like, Oh, well, this would be so cool. If we stayed here, look at this tree house. I'm like, yeah, stay in a tree house <laughs> without a toilet. <laughs> um, so it was like, kind of just funny. Like it's hard to pin down, like going back to your point, you know, what we were talking about before, it's hard to pin down where the ideas came from because I would talk to Jordan about things that I learned from my network and people I've interviewed. And then she finds stuff on Pinterest or wherever and shows it to me. And then that that's like, that all morphs into us actually doing something and having these conversations. So um, it's sort of like that law, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So just like kind of surround yourself with people with these ideas and they, they grow. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pin any of this down to one location, one, one source. Um, we just kind of kept moving with the ideas. I knew that this area is where people wanted to be because I'd been up there invest in what, you know, I know that that area is popular. I know it was like really growing in, in, um, you know, traffic to the area. Um, but when we looked at the camp, like conventional camping in that location, it actually had a lot of strikes against it. Uh, I think the glamping model was the only thing that really stuck out to us as like, we can rock and roll with this. Like we could, we could really be, uh, trailblazers, uh, by, by basically setting up a full accommodation camping light, you know, you get a bed, you know, in a tent with furniture and, um, you know, pay 175, 200 a night plus cleaning fee. And people are like, we had people booked right up to our last day, our last day, our last night to stay is October 14th. Wow. And last weekend was, we were, we were full on our tents. Every, every tent was booked. It's getting cold. Yeah. <laughs> people are camping and it's cold. Uh, and we thought our trailers would be busy because we have glamping trailers too. The tents, man, like people just want to, want to take photos and Instagram <laughs> the tents like we get tagged we do on our, our trailers too but the trailers have heat the tents don't yeah. <laughs> people still are still booking them up so yeah uh, it's a kind of you provided a very unique experience yeah um, that's it right it's an experience and you know and looking at recession coming and you know spending on on unnecessary um it's, you know unnecessary spending is obviously going to get constricted we actually feel pretty pretty optimistic that we're in a position where people who would have vacationed overseas, like we're a pretty cheap vacation for a really cool experience, you know, yeah. kind of. So I think, I think Ontario tourism actually could be positively affected by a recession because people who would have gone overseas or would have traveled further might actually just spend that money locally and spend, you know, less obviously. Yeah, for sure. So, um, is it, is it seasonal? Is it only over the summer months that you guys rent or do the trailers yeah. go all year round? We, we presently don't have the, uh, ability uh, from a operational standpoint to run year round just because of water lines freezing and things like that. Like we have to winterize. Um, bylaw will allow us to run, they say seven out of 10 months, whatever that means. That's a really weird thing to say. So I worked that out to be like eight and a third out of 12 months. We really only operate for say, say six months out of the year. So I think next year we're looking at sort of April 15th to October 15th is, is our operational window. And, um, you know, like you pay appropriately, right? Like the price of the campground was based on it being seasonal. If it was year round, we would have paid probably double for it. 
Yeah. And how many tents do you have on it? This year we finished up with seven um, Airbnb like glamping tents. Then we had uh, probably uh, most six trailers that were operational. Uh, we took two of them off our Airbnb just because they weren't quite the caliber that we wanted for our brand. And um, we're sort of still refining that. We have uh, a few things in the the pipe for next year that we we're wanting to add. And it's it's all just coming down to manpower and who, who can do the work to get things set up. One of the big things that we did sort of, and I don't think that it's necessarily a mistake we made, but we should have we should have foreseen it is just the late launch. We didn't really we didn't launch our, our glamping operation at all until end of June. So we lost a complete run up. No one could have booked before then. So uh, on one hand, it was disappointing. On the other hand, like we still had some pretty solid performance out of some of these tents. And we're just thinking, wow, what could we do if people could actually book in the winter, you know, book leading up and actually come in, you know, starting in April. Right. Like pretty well, no one's going to camp in April, but I guarantee you we'll get glampers. We'll get people who like who will come and, and you know, three blankets and they'll, they'll camp in, in our tents. Yeah, nice. no, that's crazy. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool. I've heard a lot about this lately. Yeah, um, I wanted to switch the conversation to economics. Um, sure. What what are you what are you predicting for the next? I mean, predicting I, I don't like that word, but what are you seeing in terms of the market in in the, in the short term and the in the I would say medium term in the twenty four month period? Yeah. So I mean, the timing of anything is like almost impossible uh, to predict yeah. exactly. Like. One thing that I feel very confident in is that we have not seen the bottom. Yes. Although if you look at month over month uh, growth and I, I looked up Hamilton and Toronto and month over month, we're actually up, but that could be a seasonal thing. I haven't really looked you know, too far into it. We had a, a steady decline for, I think, seven months in prices. And then, and then finally one month where, where it actually went up a bit. Um, I got to look into that further. I think that we got, you know, if we have another interest rate hike coming, I think we're going to see more downward pressure on prices just because increased supply. Um, even if interest rates were to stay the same, uh, it's hard to imagine if you think about all these mortgage renewals that are going to come up. The, I mean, I heard a stat recently, 50% of Canadians, they're struggling to, to buy food right now. Wow. Uh, it's a bad stat. So um, I think that the effects don't happen all at once. It takes time for foreclosures to happen while it's, it's power sales in Ontario. Uh, it takes time for those things to happen. So for the supply is going to get more and more increased as these effects play out, uh, which is going to affect pricing in a downward trajectory. How long that plays out, I don't know. Um, that could be another six months. It could be another five years. Um we'll see. I don't think we're going to see like the the rapid descent in in uh, in pricing um necessarily if they stop jacking interest rates but if they keep going uh, i think it's just going to keep going down and down um i know that's probably not what a lot of people want to hear uh some people are, are assuming uh, that this is the last interest rate hike we're going to get this one in october and it's not going to be a full percent it might be 0.75 or 0.5 time will tell yeah um there's, and I, we just, uh, so I have a new YouTube channel where we're launching or we launched, uh, and we just did a market update on, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, but there's two things to consider. So we've got our, our bond yield that has been going up. We're now like our bond yields for like 10 year bonds are the same as they were in 2008. Um, so they've, they've come up quite a bit and like the banks take a spread on that. So if your bond yield is four and a half, the banks are going to want 200 basis points. So they're going to charge six and a half. And then we've got our overnight lending rate, which is what everybody's talking about, which, which is, you know, the, the meeting, whether they're going to increase that 
ultimately it's all manipulation from the Bank of Canada. Uh, they've been doing quant quantitative tightening, basically selling off bonds to drive up the yield. Uh, so the central bank is the one that does all of this. So for us to make any predictions, it's like we need to be able to predict what the people in charge of that institution are going to do. Uh, which we know our traditional economics, like when you're in a recession, which we undebatably are, uh, and you're jacking interest rates, like not a good combo. Um, so they've announced that their mandate is to, uh, is to control inflation regardless of the effect. And these are like the same people that were, you know, when everyone's locked down and, and when you drop interest rates, you can't stimulate an economy that you forced to close. Yet they do that, you know, like here, let us give you some free money. Let us do all this. And these are the same people like, I don't care if you can't eat and you lose your job. We're going to control inflation. It's just, uh, it's very odd. Um, and this is why they're so hard to predict um, because that, that move back at the beginning of the lockdown didn't make sense. These moves, I mean, if you want to control inflation, like they changed the way they calculate the inflation. Like if, if they still calculated it the way we did in like the eighties, we'd, we'd show like 15% inflation right now. Um, and I think that's probably more accurate. So, you know, how are you going to control that? In the eighties, uh, bond yields got up to, well, I could go as far back as I could go. I saw that they were at 12% yields, 12 or 13. So that means that rates were on 15%. Yeah. You imagine us getting to that rate to control inflation yeah, now. I know. That's and in our, our inflation now is, is, is equivalent to that. So <laughs> are they going to go that far? I mean, it would be much more devastating to go that far now than it was in the eighties the because of the amount of debt people carry right. and the amount of debt our government has, you know, they have to service that debt too. Um, yeah. So that's what I was wondering myself mm -hmm. that, I mean, can they keep increasing rates because they're, it's getting expensive for the government as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but they can just tax all of us for that, right? <laughs> you could just yeah, pay more. But, but at the same time, I know they have to control inflation, which is their number one uh, yeah. agenda right now. Well, well, the best way they can do that is to stop spending. Eventually, the effects of the money they've printed will fizzle if they stop doing it. <laughs> but they're yeah. still spending a deficit. So, yeah, it won't stop it, right? It's just an artificial suppression of demand. It doesn't fix our housing crisis, right? Like if we're immigrating 400,000 people a year, but we only can build 200,000 houses, how is that going to work? And, mm -hmm. and housing starts are down now because developers are, are weary of where the market's going. We're going to build houses now and they're not going to be worth our cost. Exactly. So um, the effect that this is why I believe on the other side of all this, we're going to see housing go to a price that most Canadians cannot afford. Like the vast majority, there's going to be the owner class and the renter class at the other side of this. And that could be five years out, 10 years out, uh, maybe two years out. I don't know, but uh, hope it's not like that. But how, what other possibility is there? Like when yeah. it, like people can't justify building the homes because of the cost, maybe some people's, you know, will say like, supply chain like it's it's back it's actually in, in much better standing than it was maybe prices come down enough uh on on the goods that it makes sense to build again and maybe the price of labor comes down because again it's all supply and demand like there's framers that are charging twenty dollars a square foot to frame when it was like i i paid six dollars a square foot in um, i remember i paid uh 12 <laughs> Yeah, in 12, like I'm still paying less than that. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it goes up and up. And uh, so if, maybe if some of these things come down, it gets a little cheaper. Uh, but again, I just think 
you look at the affordability and, and it's been one direction, like people are less and less able to afford their monthly expenses. Uh, I think that it was like a band-aid to have a really cheap debt for a while. And a lot of people got into houses. They were just, you know, just barely qualifying. And yeah, we had the stress test, but now actual rates are, are above what the stress test was for all those yeah. people who qualified. So they're officially outside of their affordability based on the income that they had when they got their mortgages. Yeah. You know, a good thing they had the stress test because if they didn't, they'd be in worse shape. But uh, like I said, I, I just think on the other side of this, um, it's just, it's just going to be, uh, you know, you're going to have companies like BlackRock, Blackstone, whatever, buying up residential real estate like they're doing in the States and they've talked about doing here. Uh, they're going to buy up a lot of the available inventory. We're going to have way too many people here and it's all supply and demand. So only the people with enough money will be able to buy those houses. And yeah, uh, yeah that's the unfortunate look of Canada right now, but that's, that's uh, I'm, I'm going to self-censor here. Cause if I say certain things, maybe you get taken off of YouTube. But <laughs> it's definitely going to be an interesting time. Uh, yeah. Next, I would say, you know, six to 18 months, um, maybe longer. Uh, no, nobody yeah. knows. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Ontario? Are you completely, you know, sort of going, planning to exit the market here? And I mean, there's a lot of discussion from investors here that, oh, this is the perfect storm. This is the perfect time to start buying again. So we're hearing that from a lot of yeah. our investor community. Oh, yeah. um, biggest buying opportunity, biggest buying opportunity of a lifetime coming up. But yeah. I mean, do you want to own in Ontario? Like, I mean, this That's is like, kind of like a great... <laughs> A great yeah. opportunity to not own in Ontario, uh, like one of the least landlord-friendly places right. you, could, you could own. A practically a socialist 100%. province, uh, yeah. you know, and you know, inside of a socialist country, uh, it's it's tough to to justify when landlords are waiting a year to get a tenant out right now. Uh, and like James James Fernandez just posted uh, a story of a house that he finally got the sheriff yes. to remove the tenant, and the backyard looked like a landfill, like an yeah. actual landfill, just garbage. Yeah. Just, all you could see was garbage. Yeah. Um, you know, why own in a place like that? Like, yeah. like Florida, somebody's not paying. I, I haven't had to deal with this yet, but I've heard, you know, it's, it's quite quick, you know, like within 15 days. Um, but there's a lot of States that are like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it doesn't mean that stays that way forever, but for now, I mean, I'd rather there's pushing your business uphill or pushing it downhill. And if I have an opportunity to invest in a place that's going to be more landlord friendly, I'll look there that doesn't mean that I'm not going to look at Ontario in the next little bit. And if I'm buying stuff for, you know, 50 cents on the dollar or 40 cents on the dollar, you know, I'll probably buy that, buy that stuff too. <laughs> like you'll just weigh, you know, am I, you know, am I willing to deal with all that, you know, landlord tenant stuff? And I am like, I'm, I'm pretty experienced with it. I, I tend to get along well with my tenants and we, you know, we treat each other uh, with respect and, and there's no issue. So, um, but it, it, you know, it's, it's a funny province because there's more and more people that are just going to get out of the game. Like how many people do I know that are going down to Florida, like following my lead? Um, or, or maybe they just I mean, coincidentally. Including us, we are, yeah. we're kind of uh, actually selling uh, some of our smaller portfolio, smaller properties and uh, more focusing on, on the U S as, as, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, it's landlord friendly, business friendly, better um, financing terms. So we're, you know, yeah. we're, we're concentrating on that and how is it for you so what are you you know what kind of opportunities are you seeing um both here ontario as well as uh in the u.s like what what do you think are is some of the better opportunities that are going to come up besides that are like coming lower yeah. prices 
Well, I mean, it's anywhere, anywhere in that hurricane path, like there's going to be huge opportunities to buy up any of those properties. Like there's, there's so many houses, like in Fort Myers beach, there were houses. Um, my mother-in-law had seven houses and for sure, only four out of the seven are still there. Uh, they're right on the beach. And, oh, wow. um, but uh, a couple of them are actually like perfectly fine. She said one of them, the beds were still made, little cards on the pillows is their Airbnb. Um, <laughs> that was all fine. But that one was like literally 20 feet off the ground. Like was, they're on like uh, basically stilts. Yeah. And uh, for that exact reason, uh, because they knew that this is very possible in that area. So anywhere in that area, like you're going to have people who just, you know, get their insurance payout, wouldn't mind uh, selling. There's going to be a lot of that. So naturally, because of all the supply, you're going to be able to pick up some lots, probably pretty darn cheap and build them, but contractors are going to be tough for the next little bit because of all the rebuilding. Yeah. So there's a huge opportunity anywhere in that path uh, for, for people willing to uh, to work through it. Um, but uh, I, I just think you got to look at, you got to look at states that are, that are seeing a lot of growth that have a diversity of industry and, uh, and uh, have a reason that people would want to go there for me, like, doesn't matter, like that the hurricane hit Southwest Florida, like there's still going to be people wanting to go sit in the warm sun um, that was a one in, I've heard people say one in 500 years uh, type of uh, hit for that area. Uh, normally hurricanes come east to west across Florida, north, northeast to west. So, so they come from the southeast, they go northwest. And um, in this in this particular uh, case, it curled around and came back in, which is very uncommon. They've never been hit with something like that. So uh, big opportunity there, I think, like anywhere affected by those, those type of things. But um, I think that a lot of the U.S. is going to see what we're seeing here. They're going to keep seeing a decrease in prices until the Fed turns, you know, does an about face, right? And Canada is likely going to follow the Fed because we don't want to get too out of whack. So uh, I think opportunities both sides of the border. I don't have specific states. I think like just look in states that you wouldn't mind investing in hmm. and cities you wouldn't mind investing in um, and, and be discerning because now with more inventory on the market, there's more things being missed. There's properties being overlooked. You have a chance to tie things up and actually negotiate with a seller. You've tied it up. You've held, you've tied them up for, you know, 10 days, five days. Now you come back and say, well, we've, we discovered this, this, and this, uh, it's going to cost us this to fix it. Um, what can you do for us on the price? And we'll firm up. Absolutely. Those opportunities are going to lead to some really awesome deals for a lot of people. And even though the median price is, you know, whatever it is in Hamilton right now, like 800,000 or 700,000 um, doesn't mean you can't pick up a property for four from somebody who just can't wait and needs to sell now. So those type of opportunities are, are already here. Um, and uh, I think that that's what people need to be on the lookout for if they want to, you know, make the best of a, an unfortunate situation for yeah, just about 100%. everybody. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I, I think we could get you, get you going about so many different things, but yeah, uh, I know I, I'm know. talking way too much. So. Oh, no, it's, it's honestly super insightful. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are extremely, this is something that they want to know about right now. Everybody wants to know, everybody wants that crystal ball, right? Everybody there's wants a, to know. There's so much fear out there right now that people are kind of almost like, let me just stop and do nothing. Paralyzed. Right now. A lot there's of people a lot are of stop and do right nothing. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah, huge opportunity for people that get yeah, just sitting on money right now, yeah. like cheap, cheap money available from private lending standpoint, because all these people sitting on it that don't want to buy a property. Now yeah. there, there would be lenders or potential lenders. So, hey, that's yeah. that's an opportunity, too. If you can find find a deal, there's going to be money out there. Yeah, for so. sure. And I think the big takeaway is that, you know, you got to look and create the deal 
Um, yeah. Nobody knows when that absolute rock bottom is. So you can certainly wait. And I mean, there is some yeah. merit to waiting, I think, and watching and learning. But at the same time, there yeah. is not going to be that perfect time. And sometimes when that perfect time comes, it's, it, you know, it comes and then it goes as quickly as it comes. So there yeah. could be a pivot and then things could start to rise very quickly. I thought a lot about that. Uh, I don't know how fast it, it pivots, but we'll yeah. have indicators, right? As soon as the, yeah. they say, okay, we're done raising rates. And then you yeah. kind of watch, okay, what's happening over the next couple of months? Like it'll, it'll start a plateau. Okay. Now they're done. Is inflation under control? Okay. So reasonably they're probably going to sit still for a while. Uh, historically, like if you look at the eighties, it took quite a while for interest rates to come back down after they got right. inflation under wraps. So it would be odd to think that it would be any different now that they're just going to all of a sudden drop rates. Um, so uh, I still do, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to speculate on any value now, now go find deals and you could even do burrs, but go find deals that you don't really care if the value comes down, like they're making good money, you know, yeah. 1% rule, 2% rule. That's I think right. those things are going to come back. You for know, sure. I think it was a flippers, unicorn for a while. And the flippers have definitely calmed down. I think all flippers, mm -hmm. including ourselves, like now's the time to, to be very cautious in what you're doing. Yeah. That, I think that's the only strategy that can be, uh, you know you're going to lose the most if you make the wrong move. But you can flip all the way down. You can flip as a market's coming down. Like you just got to buy better numbers on the start. Like you got to yeah, say, well, okay, yeah. well, over a year, we might lose 10%. Uh, so yeah. I need to make sure I'm buying at, you know, 50 cents on current value. And yeah, yeah, you know, for sure. If the deals, those deals there, will the still happen. And, and now that, yeah, the wholesalers, I think there's a lot less demand for the, like, yeah. I think wholesalers are less motivated right now because, they know there's so many people that are weary. So the amount of people going after properties right now is so diminished that it's a huge opportunity to buy. Yeah. And, you know, every, every single challenge has a, you know, silver lining. That's and right. I think that that's what people got to stay focused on. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that those are great uh, last thoughts. I mean, every, yeah, there's, there's always something there. There's always an opportunity to be had. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks again, Andrew, for your time. If people want to get in touch, we'll put in our show notes as well. Uh, what's the best way for them to reach out? Um, uh, your podcast, uh, you have a YouTube channel as well. Yeah. Uh, the easiest place for now anyway, is just Instagram at the Andrew Hines. And I try and do a good job of getting back to people who message me. Uh, okay. Not perfect, but I, I do my best there. And then, yeah, follow me on um uh, any of the platforms, wherever you listen to podcasts or watch them, uh, just search my name, Andrew Hines, uh, and or Andrew Hines in real estate on any of the platforms, you'll find it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and feel you know check out uh, Andrew Hines podcast as well. It's uh it's a very very high highly rated podcast. Um, been running for four plus years now, so definitely great great insight. Lots um, of good content. Yeah. And and that uh, podcast. Thank you. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.